Welcome to Sonic Genome, the music history podcast where I subliminally slip in messages about aliens and the deep state that can only be heard when played in reverse. Just kidding. Or maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Anyways, I hope everybody enjoys this episode. It's a little more in-depth than our previous ones, but I think the information is super interesting and pertinent because it provides this essential context to music history that is often overlooked. This one's about music mediums and how they influence the industry. Hope you enjoy. The popular music medium of a given decade has always been defined by three criteria. Affordability, sound quality, and convenience. The medium that can achieve the best possible combination of these three criteria will inevitably find its way to the top. Music history, in large part, has been hugely influenced by these competing values. Songs had to have a certain sound, albums had to be a certain length, and mixes had to cater to a certain playback system, all to accompany the medium. Now, though, we live in a time of perfect convenience, where artists can make music on their phones and ship it off to a streaming service for somebody across the world to hear. Artists can make music in whatever style they choose, and if it's good, they'll find an audience. This is, by all accounts, the golden age for music consumers. But how did we get here? That's a good question and a long, long story. So to answer that, we're going to have to take it all the way back to the phono autograph. The phono autograph is this lovely little device patented by Frenchman Leon Scott in 1857 and was the first device to record sound. He used a vibrating diaphragm and stylus to graphically record sound waves as tracings on sheets of paper, but only for visual analysis, he had no intention or way of playing them back. This is the earliest known recording of sound. Scott's phono autograph was relatively insignificant, but marked a key discovery and the first step of a thousand mile journey. Yes, the first real leap in audio playback technology would come in the form of the phonograph, which is not to be confused with the phonoautograph, which is what we just talked about, but it, it's going to get a little confusing, so buckle up, because all of these inventions have phono prefixes or suffixes, because uh, phono means relating to sound, so it makes sense, just a little confusing. Invented in 1877 by Thomas Edison and his team, the original phonograph was a thin sheet of tinfoil wrapped around a hand-cranked, grooved metal cylinder. The phonograph worked similarly to Leon's phonoautograph with a vibrating stylus indenting the tinfoil while the cylinder was rotated. At the time, it was more so a novelty than a revelation because the sound quality was incredibly poor and its practicality was limited at best. We don't know for sure, but it's safe to say it didn't make much of a profit in its first iteration, but it did give Edison the confidence that sound could reliably be recorded and played back eventually. Edison soon moved on to inventing light bulbs, which were a chill invention, but have nothing to do with music, so we're not concerned with that. Ten years later, however, he returns to the invention and replaces the tinfoil sheet with a hollow wax cylinder. The sound quality is greatly improved, and this marked the inception of the recorded sound market around the end of the 1880s. But while Edison was busy improving his phonograph, German inventor Emil Berliner was developing the first laterally cut disc record made of shellac, a resin secreted by the female lac bug, as well as a device that could play it, which he dubbed the gramophone. The earliest discs and gramophones were marketed in 1889, 
And the gramophone is this ridiculous looking thing. It was like a hand crank device with a long windy tube that leads up to a big ol' horn that projects the sound. The first discs were originally 5 inches in diameter, and they had worse sound quality than Edison's wax cylinders at first, and they could play for less time. So Edison's phonograph understandably dominated the market through the early 1900s. But during that time, the disc had been incrementally improving, gradually increasing in diameter and sound quality until it surpassed the phonograph for good in the 1910s. The first commercial disc pressed was titled Columbia ML 4001 and was a Mendelssohn Violin Concerto in E minor. In the early stages, it was mostly classical music played on these early mediums, followed by jazz and blues in the 20s, which we talk a little bit about in our Mississippi Delta Blues episode, so if that interests you, make my shameless plug worthwhile and check it out. Early recordings were made acoustically, with sound being collected by a horn piped to a diaphragm, which once again vibrates the cutting stylus, creating grooves in the master disc. If you've ever heard somebody refer to mixing and mastering their album, that's where it comes from. The master disc is the final product, and that's what they're doing when they say they're mastering it. They're creating the final product. The frequency range of these early shellac disc records was incredibly poor, and response was irregular, leaving a little more to be desired. But in the 20s, engineers at Western Electric and other independent inventors began developing a technology for capturing audio with what would eventually become to known as a microphone. This innovation resulted in a smoother frequency response, dramatically increasing the quality of the playback, creating a fuller, clearer, and true-to-life sounding record. Softer and distant sounds that were lost in translation before were now being captured, giving records more depth. Western Electric also developed an electric turntable that produced louder and smoother sounds to accompany their new microphone innovations, but the barrier to entry for these electric turntables were way too high and they were very slow to be adopted. The cheapest electric turntable was like $650. For reference, a brand new Model T at the time cost $260 and median household income was approximately 20 bucks a week. So these turntables were really only for the Gatsby's of the world in their first iteration. But the music industry was on the rise nevertheless. Quality was increasing, musicians all over were getting their voices out there until the Great Depression hit in 1929 and did what the Great Depression did so well, ruin everything, including the market for music. In 1932, though, RCA Victor, a record company, introduced an inexpensive turntable called the Duo Junior, which was designed to be connected to radio receivers, thereby reducing the cost. Many people credit this device for reviving a nearly dead music industry. But when World War II hit, then-President FDR called for a 70% cut in the manufacturing of new phonograph records, which consumed about 30% of the nation's shellac. Oof. This was a huge blow to a music industry that was just getting their footing back. There was a call to arms where people were encouraged to donate their broken or unwanted shellac discs, but why? Shellac had tons of military applications, being used in explosives, artillery shell coatings, and signal flares, to name a few. So a new material simply had to be found, one that was abundant and could reliably reduce sound in the same way shellac did, and wasn't used for killing Axis power soldiers with patriotic impunity. Enter polyvinyl chloride. Though it was originally only used out of sudden necessity, polyvinyl chloride ended up being cheaper with drastically better sound quality and strength. It was all around the move. 
Shortly after World War II, Columbia Records produced a disc record that spun at 33 rotations per minute. Uh, at the time, the standard was 78 and was 12 inches wide, nearly doubling the amount of recording you could press on the record. This was dubbed the long play format and would go on to become the disc we know, love, and thrift for. Maybe you've heard somebody refer to an album as an LP, and that's because of the long play format. So the more you know. Disc records began to lose their dominance around the 60s, with compact cassette taking over a significant portion of their market share, which in turn was eventually superseded by the CD. That's all for later, though. However, in the 90s, something strange happened. A growing number of audiophiles began buying discs as collector's items and started calling them vinyls, which honestly surprised me as I was under the impression they had always been relatively popular and had always been called vinyls. So only in the past 30 years have vinyl donned their new nickname and made a resurgence, partly due to their size and collectability, but also because they are considered higher quality than CDs and compact cassettes in cases where artists designed their music specifically to be played on a phonograph disc. Vinyl sales have increased fivefold since the 90s and routinely outperformed CDs. It's great to see that vinyls are seemingly timeless given that they kind of kickstarted the recorded music industry. But why did vinyl stop being the top dog? The short answer is compact cassettes took a serious bite out of their bottom line, but that didn't kill vinyl in and of itself, that was CD. Cassettes actually never passed vinyl in sales. But to truly develop a comprehensive picture for how we arrived at streaming today, we gotta go way back again. <laughs> 